Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Graymere Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at graymere.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Graymere Church of Christ. I'd like to go ahead and turn to Psalm 35. We'll be looking at a couple of psalms, Psalm 34 as well as Psalm 35 tonight. It is good to see everyone here uh, this evening, and I know we've got several that are working with our uh, 1 to 10 ministry as well as our Gramier kids. Uh, and so it's just great to see uh, how many different people are involved and how many things we have uh, that are lined up for different groups in the congregation. Uh, many were able to be part of the uh, senior adult holiday dinner. Uh, that was uh, just an outstanding time and thankful for all those who were part of that. Uh, of course, thankful for uh, Jack Malone and the work that he does with that group. But there were many others uh, that banded together to make that a reality. Uh, that's always exciting. And then we have another uh, event coming up a week from today, uh, right after our evening worship service, our Snacks with Santa time. Uh, that's always a lot of fun for our children. There are some special surprises there, and so we hope that you'll uh, uh, stick around and just enjoy uh, the times we can be together. Uh, many of you are involved with the angel tree that uh, we have and already seeing some of those gifts line up there. And so there's just a lot of ways uh, to get plugged in and get involved. One thing I wanted to highlight that was mentioned in the bulletin is that at the end of the month, when we have our uh, open door uh, Sunday schedule, uh, we will have our morning worship service together. Jonathan Winchester will be sharing uh, an update from uh, India, uh, from a recent trip there. Uh, and then we'll have a combined Bible class. And during our Bible class time, uh, with various ones of us will be sharing some of the things we have coming up, the ways we have coming up to serve uh, in 2024, and so we're looking forward to that. But after our Bible class together, we'll have our meal, and we have sent a special invitation uh, to those that we've worked with over the last several years. We've been able to kind of adopt a class at Brown Elementary, and so we've invited uh, those families to come join us for our, our meal. So we hope that you'll be looking out uh, for some of those families that you can introduce yourself to, and we're going to want to do our best to be a, a good host and make sure they've got a place uh, to, to sit and to eat with us. And then in our afternoon worship service, we're going to have a time of prayer for the year to come, and specifically thinking about uh, our young people and the young people there and just all those in our community. And so we hope this will be a really uh, good way for us to not only connect with our community, but just to get uh, things started off uh, in a good way with a spiritual focus. So I hope you'll plan to be part of all of that. And I realize that uh, there are times, especially when uh, we're all sitting down, when it can, it can become, maybe feels a little bit crowded. And all I can do is just say, we're going to be ready with tables and chairs to put those in, in whatever places we need to. We don't want that to discourage you from staying for, for our lunch together. We want to have as many as possible uh, be a part of that. It's a special time uh, for us as a church family. There are stories that we like to hear, stories that make us feel good. 
Uh, We look for these storylines when we watch movies. We look for them when we read books. We like to see stories of rescue. Uh, Those, for some reason, just seem to stand out to us. When someone rescues someone else, when they, they put their life on the line, when they lay their life down for someone else, there's just something powerful that speaks to us about that. In 1943, there was a ship named the Dorchester, the SS Dorchester, that had been uh, sort of turned into a uh, a military personnel uh, vessel. And it was carrying more than 900 soldiers across the North Atlantic when it was fired on. Only one torpedo struck the target, but it blew a water line, so the ship was fatally damaged. It was dark and it was cold, and they had to abandon ship. There were not enough lifeboats for all the men, And there weren't enough life jackets. And while it was such a tragic loss of so many lives, one of the stories that came out of that event was that there were four chaplains aboard the ship who were comforting those who'd been injured in the explosion. And when the ship was ready to sink, these four chaplains took off their life jackets and handed them to four soldiers who had none. They gave up their life in order to save someone else's. Uh, This became a powerful story. There was a commemorative stamp in the honor of these four chaplains. It's one of the reasons, one of the things that's most commonly remembered about this event. And it's powerful when we see someone who lays their life on the line and rescues someone else. And as tragic as it is for the one who was sacrificed, we think about four individuals who were living because of the actions of someone else. That kind of rescue is powerful. And there are some of the psalms that we look at. Psalm 34, for example, which tells us a lot about rescue. We're going to get to Psalm 35, but I just want to share with us some of the things that we read in Psalm 34. Uh, We may have become more familiar with this song in the last couple of years because of a a newer song that we sing, uh, Magnify the Lord with Me. It's one of my favorite uh, newer songs that we've learned. And it points us to Psalm 34. Even in our study of 1 Peter on Sunday mornings, uh, Peter's quoted Psalm 34. And listen to some of the things that are written there. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. That's the kind of thing we often expect. We continue through the psalm and we read that He delivered me from all my fears. That those who looked to Him were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 34 is a series of reminders of the triumph we have when we're rescued from our troubles by the Lord. When we have that kind of rescue from the circumstances that can be so difficult. But what happens when that rescue doesn't seem to come? At least it doesn't seem to come in the way we expected it. What happens when we're in the middle of one of those moments? Yes, we can read that I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. But what about those moments when we're in the midst of fear? 
when we're encircled by and covered up with challenge, what about what happens then? That's when we feel a lot more like what we read in Psalm 35. And while Psalm 34 is maybe better known, uh, Psalm 35 is one we're not as familiar with. At least I'm not as familiar with it. And it's a cry for rescue as well. But whereas Psalm 34 gives us sort of the assurance that happens once God delivers us, Psalm 35 is right in the middle of the struggle. Is right in the middle of being persecuted by enemies and crying out for God. In fact, as we read Psalm 35, we're going to read some things that it, it may seem even strange to read out loud from Scripture. Are you allowed to talk about how you want your enemies to be treated this way? I mean, the psalmist is putting things uh, in words that, that don't sound a lot like what we know we're supposed to do for our enemies and the way we're supposed to love other people. And so as we think about Psalm 35, what does life look like when rescue doesn't seem imminent? I think we're going to be reminded of some of the challenges maybe that we've faced, especially when it comes to enemies. Psalm 35 is all about dealing with enemies. Uh, you look at the uh, superscription there, a reminder of a psalm of David. David certainly had issues with enemies. And it's hard for us. Forgiveness can be difficult, and sometimes uh, we, we sort of try to handle it in different ways, and maybe we try to forgive too quickly. We don't really think about what we're saying. We say, oh yeah, that's fine, but we, we gloss over it. We, we don't really process what's happened. And because we, we say that too quickly and we just try to dismiss it instead of dealing with it, that, that emotion, that feeling, that frustration, it just sort of stays there. And it's never really fully resolved because we're kind of putting it to the side. Or we can decide we don't want to forgive other people that I'd, I'd feel much more comfortable if I just get to be a victim, if I get to be the one that is always talking about how I've been done wrong and I sort of hold that grudge and kind of let that fester and that hurts us as well. And so as we read Psalm 35, we're going to be reading the psalmist. And again, I, I picture David thinking about his enemies and as we do, I want us to be asking a couple of questions that we're going to ask together. One would be why there would be a psalm like this, and this is not the only one like this, that's recorded in Scripture. And then, well, what can we do to apply this psalm in our lives? Psalm 34, the application seems pretty straightforward. Here's what we do when we've been delivered from something. But what happens when we're in Psalm 35? And so if you want to begin reading with me, I'll start in verse 1. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of buckler and shield and rise up for my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause, they hid their net for me. 
without cause. They dug a pit from my soul. Let destruction come upon them unawares, and let the net which he hid catch himself into that very destruction. Let him fall, and my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exult in his salvation. Well, we stop right there and say, what do we do with a passage of Scripture like this? What do we do with the psalm that's calling for God to take action against enemies and then saying, once you do that, I'll magnify your name? We're not at the end of the Psalm 34 story. We're not at the victory moment. We're right in the heart of what the psalmist is struggling with. So I thought it would be helpful for us tonight just to ask a couple of questions. The first would be, why do we have this psalm in Scripture? Why do we have psalms like this? What could be the purpose of putting this in Scripture? And here are a couple of things that I think are helpful to remember that. We're reminded multiple times that Scripture is inspired by God. And all Scripture is inspired. But we're also reminded that not all the Scripture we hold in our hands is a direct instruction to us. And that may seem a little unsettling to say at first because we want to follow the Bible and we want to do God's will and I want to do what God said. And so to say that there are some things in the Bible that we're not supposed to be doing, it sort of hits us wrong when we're thinking about that. Wait a minute, I want to do everything. But we know if we're reading through Scripture, there are some things that are directed, commands, for example, that are directed specifically for certain people. Noah gets some pretty specific instructions on what he was supposed to build. Those instructions aren't for me to follow. I'm not to follow those instructions to build an ark. That was directly for Noah. It's inspired. I learned from it. There are principles that are there. But that's not direct instruction to me. There are some things that are recorded in Scripture, and they're accurately recorded. They're inspired. They were said but it doesn't mean they're what I'm supposed to do. So when Job was struggling with all of the losses that Satan had inflicted on him, his wife tells him just to curse God and die. Now that's in Scripture, but that's not divine instruction. That's a recording of what someone is saying, who again is in the midst of a Psalm 35 moment, saying, what's the point, Job? Why are you holding on to your integrity? We even see some of the things that the Pharisees say to each other in the New Testament. Some of those might be accurate. Some of them aren't. And so we have to use context to understand, okay, when I'm reading God's Word, is this included in here to be an example of, here's what I should do? I should do exactly what this is saying? I should act exactly like this person is acting? Or is it something that I should learn from? Especially in the life of David, it's really interesting uh, when you get towards uh, particularly the second half of his life, there are things that are recorded that David did, and we have to use the context to determine whether they were good or whether they were bad. We've got to look at, okay, well, what about this? Sometimes it's very clear cut, and Scripture tells us the thing he had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Sometimes we have to use biblical principles and our common sense. To figure out is this what we should follow or is this something that we shouldn't and so context is important but I think there's something else that's at work here 
in the Psalms. And this may be the most helpful thing we can take from Psalms like this one. All Scripture is inspired, but all servants of God struggled. All servants struggled. This is important because it's easy for me to feel like when I'm flipping through the pages of Scripture that these were sort of people that lived on a different level and they kind of had a different level of faith and so they probably don't deal with the same problems I deal with. And there's something powerful about how many psalms, it's not just one or two, how many of them record the psalmist at a really low point, at a point where they're really struggling and they're trying to figure out, not just trying to figure out uh, you know, when is victory going to come? But trying to figure out, how do I get through the day? How do, what do I do to keep myself going in faith? And how can I stay faithful? All servants struggle. And we know the kinds of struggles that David faced. David may be the most well-known for his battle against Goliath, but David's life wasn't a series of spiritual mountaintops. There were some valleys. There were some enemies. And not just enemies that he fought in battle, but enemies that were supposed to be his friend. And so the beginning of Psalm 35, that contend for me, is kind of a, a metaphor from a law court. It's, it's courtroom language. You know, someone contend for me. I, I need a, a, someone to stand and represent me. But then you see the request in verses 2 and 3. Here's what I want. I want God to be a warrior to take the shield and the buckler, and here's the spear, and I want you to go to war. That's a military language that's there. It reminds us of battle. And what he's struggling with particularly here is this was an unprovoked attack from enemies. Without cause, they hid their net for me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my soul. Here, can you... Can you relate to what it's like for someone to do something to you and there was no cause? There's no reason. Why would they do that? Why would they choose me? Why would they act this way toward me? Now again, it's hard for us to place this at an exact moment in David's life. I do like reflecting on some of those challenges that he faced. You know, when we read through Scripture in 1 Samuel... David is anointed to be king. He's chosen by God. And then he's thrust in a situation where all of a sudden, just by serving God, just by battling with Goliath, just by uh, attending to Saul and getting to know people around him, uh, just by leading people into battle, all of a sudden he becomes so popular that the king decides he wants him dead. Now, it would be bad to make anybody angry, but once you've upset the king, you're seen as a threat to Saul. David didn't ask for this. This was just the role that David was placed in. He didn't ask to spend years on the run from Saul. And yet, that's what was lined up for him. There were others that were enemies of David. And we read the psalmist here. I I think it's helpful for us to picture David's life And we see this conflict there. His enemies, as described in the text later on, were gloating over him. That kind of description of their gathering 
They're laughing of him. They're gathered around a fallen foe. And one of the things that shows up both in these kinds of laments in Psalms and also in Job's lament is it's not just that I'm struggling with something I'm dealing with. It's also that listen to what people are saying. Here's what they're saying about me. If you keep reading in Psalm 35, there are things that are pointing to, here's what they're saying. Here's the words of deceit. Look at what they're saying about me. Job would say, I've become a byword. I've become someone they're making fun of. It reminds us of the harsh reality, not just of of gossip. You know, sometimes we put gossip in that category of sin that's uh, sort of, uh, if you've got a spectrum of really serious stuff, the stuff that isn't so bad, you know, we kind of put that over here. That's not too bad. What I say, if I, if I talk about someone, if I, if I post about someone, if I do whatever, that's, you know, and it's, it's unfair. And I said, well, that's not too bad. That's just gossip. And yet, one of the things that shows up in these laments are what people are saying. Have you heard what they're saying about me? Have you heard what they're saying to me? In a, a culture that that had honor and shame as being so important to say, I want my enemy to be humiliated, as Psalm 35 does, is saying more than just saying defeated. I want them humiliated. I want them shamed because the psalmist is feeling that. And there are several psalms in scriptures which, which contain what are sometimes called imprecations. The idea being that it's a call to God that these enemies not just would be defeated, but these uh, imprecatory psalms, as they're referred to, they can get pretty specific. Here's exactly what I want the defeat to look like. Isn't that a human tendency? I, I don't have just an idea about my prayer or my prayer request. I've got a specific idea about how I want this request to be filled. We tend to do that with all kinds of things. I'm not praying just for this specific situation. I want it to work out just exactly like this. And here's the way I've got it lined out. And so when I have a prayer that I'm submitting to God, I'm saying, okay, I I understand that that I'm I'm submitting this to your will, but I really would like it if you do it this way and this way and this way and this way. Well, the imprecatory Psalms take that to the next step when it comes to our enemies. And it says, I want my enemies to be defeated. And I'm so angry. Here's exactly what I want that defeat to look like. And those are some of the psalms that are hard for us to read. I'm just going to read some selections from various psalms. The 69th psalm. May their table before them become a snare. When they are in peace, may it become a trap. May their eyes grow dim so that they cannot see. Pour out your indignation on them, and may your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be desolate. May none dwell in their tents. Pretty serious. Psalm 109, let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children wander about and beg, and let them seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. Psalm 137. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Psalm 143. And in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. It's hard to even hear those out loud 
But I do think it's important we recognize they're in Scripture, and we have to think about the struggle that they reflect and what it means that we serve a God who is big enough to handle things that are stated that even as we read them are hard for us to fathom. If Thinking again back to Job, if we look through the book of Job, if you look just at what Job's responses are, he challenges God. He is upset. He is voicing emotion. And I think one of the lessons we can take from Job is that God is big enough to handle our anger and our frustration and the things that we say. And I think the Psalms remind us of that as well. These imprecations are difficult. How should we understand them? What should we do when we're reading this psalm, when we're going through our daily Bible reading and we get to one of these psalms and we're thinking, what do I do with this? Here are a few things to remember as we seek to think, how should we apply these psalms? And the first is that God understands the depth of our hurt. Remember that God understands the depths of how we feel. There are times when even reading the psalms, there are, are words that are given to express things that we might not have been able to express before. Maybe you know that feeling if you've tried to learn another language. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, you, you get to a new uh, concept or something that you learned or a new set of vocabulary words, and you say, oh, wow, now I've got tools to, to say something that I couldn't say before. Or maybe it's uh, some jargon that you use in a, a specific area and uh, you're wanting to learn more about this specific field, and now you've learned the terms, and you can say, oh, that's what that is. I can put into words the things that I couldn't put into words before. I think the Psalms help us do that. They help us see the depth of emotion that's there, and it's like they give us words to put these things uh, into our, that are in our hearts and to put them into words. And whatever it is that we feel... We can entrust that feeling to God in prayer. If I'm frustrated, I can share that frustration in prayer. I can pray to God, I am, I'm, really, uh, I'm, I'm really upset about this. I'm feeling a lot of strong emotion about this. God knows how we're feeling anyway, but it helps us in our prayer to put that into words. God understands the depths of our hurt. And there is something that happens in these imprecations that does remind us of an important principle. And that is, as we read these, you'll notice, even as harsh as the ones that we've read were, as we think about the enemies of God's people and what they did to them and the destruction that God's people had to deal with, and many times they also were a realization that God was the one in charge of vengeance. When, when it comes to reading a psalm like this, it's good to know that God is the one who's in charge of vengeance. Specifically, vengeance is mine, I will repay, is that quote from Deuteronomy that shows up in Romans. Uh, it shows up in the book of Hebrews. It's a constant reminder that we might want to take things into our own hands, but God is the one who is in charge. And as troubling as it is to read some of these psalms, they do continually say, we want God to do this. 
We're, we're looking to God. I'm giving this to God. I think we can be reminded in that, that when we entrust these things to God in prayer, and we might even say, I wish things would work out this way. I'm so frustrated, it's hard for me to think clearly about this. But when we submit them to God in prayer, we're reminding ourselves of who's really in charge. In fact, when Paul quotes uh, this Deuteronomy passage, Vengeance is Mine, in Romans chapter 12, notice what he says right after that. He says, don't avenge yourself because it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think it's interesting that one of the steps that Paul gives to overcoming evil is to make sure you understand God is the one who's in charge of repaying those who, who need to be repaid for their deeds. And that if I don't allow God to be in charge, if I go down the road where I'm seeking to sort of get my own revenge, that looks a lot like being overcome by evil. Or even Hebrews chapter 10, describing those who've trampled underfoot the Son of God, uh, someone who has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of of grace, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Scripture is clear. That God is going to be the one in charge. That there will be judgment. And when I am looking at Psalms like this, maybe I could just remind myself, as difficult as that situation was, the psalmist is willing to say, God, you're the one in charge. Here's what I'd like to have happen. Here's how I'd like my deliverance to look. But you're the one that's in charge. And then also we can recognize our true enemy when we're reading Psalms like this one. Thinking back to David when he first encounters what's happening with Goliath as Goliath is challenging God's people and no one is coming out to him. And so David decides he's going to take uh, the challenge himself before he deals with Saul and before he deals with Goliath, he has to talk with his oldest brother. Eliab comes to him and evidently is maybe jealous, frustrated, whatever the dynamic might have been. And he insults David. And you've come down here and you're going to do this. And it's, it's a great example, I think, of the real enemy Goliath being over here, but then someone else who's close to David... Being in between David and the true enemy. In our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of the times the, the people that I can get the most frustrated by, uh, the people that might be most difficult to deal with, they're not the true enemy. They're, they're, not, they're not the ones we really need to be upset with. Scripture is clear that Satan is our enemy. Satan is our adversary. We need to recognize who the true enemy is. That's where our focus should be. I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus gives us the instruction in the Sermon on the Mount. To love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. And He doesn't just give us that instruction, He models that instruction for us. When He's on the cross, He shows us what it looks like for people to be persecuting you and to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
Jesus shows us what it's like to recognize who the true enemy is, even when others are hurting you. In the midst of the worst kind of persecution we can imagine, he prays for forgiveness. So when we read a psalm like Psalm 35, we can be reminded who our true enemy is, that Satan is at work, and that God is more powerful. So how do we apply this in our lives? We realize God understands how deep we're hurting. I might not be able to explain what I'm experiencing to anyone else, but God understands that. Secondly, we can know that God is the one in charge of judgment. That it's not for me to decide, I'm, going, I'm not just going to get mad, I'm going to get even. That's the road that leads to being overcome by evil. And so we're reminded, God is the one that's in charge. And even some of these psalms are reminding us of asking God to take action. And to recognize who the true enemy is. There are times in our life that feel a lot like Psalm 34. We can look back and we can say, wasn't it incredible when I went through this and God was with me every step of the way? But chances are, if I'm thinking about my life in hindsight, there, there were moments in that challenge that felt more like Psalm 35, that felt more like, I feel like I'm being attacked. I'm searching for help and looking for a place to find it. And God has given us both of these passages of Scripture. In fact, uh, there, for any kind of situation we could ever find ourselves, there is a psalm that speaks to that, that situation, that feeling, that hurt, that challenge, that victory, whatever it is. There's a psalm that deals with it. And it's a reminder of how God's people can remain faithful even through the highs and the lows. We love stories of rescue. I think one reason that we might be drawn to those stories of rescue is because as we think about what Scripture teaches us, we think about the God who sent His Son to the earth, as we think about the salvation that's offered there, so many stories and TV shows and movies reflect themes that we already see here in Scripture because it's that central to our lives. It's that important to us. And so when we think about rescue, there's no greater rescue that's been made available than the salvation that we find through God's Word. It may be tonight that you need to be rescued, that you need to put Christ on in baptism. You need to begin living a life for Him. You can do that tonight. It may be that you just like to learn more about God, that you just like to sit down and have a Bible study. We love to do that. It may be that you could use prayers or encouragement. If there's any way that we can help you tonight, please come forward, come down front and let us know as we stand and as we sing together.